Hey everyone, it's Damon Klotz, host of the Culture First podcast. Before we get started, I wanted to let you know that tickets are now on sale for the next series of Culture First events. If you head to the link in your podcast player or on the podcast website, you can grab your free ticket to our virtual events that are happening in the APAC, North America and EMEA regions. This is a chance to come together as a global community, to be inspired and take action as we all try to create a better world of work. Speakers at our APAC event include Jamila Rizvi, who's a leading gender equality advocate, as well as Dylan Alcott, the current Australian of the Year, Olympic gold medalist, and winner of more Grand Slam tournaments than I have time to tell you about. So head to the link wherever you're listening to the show and grab your ticket today. All right, let's get started. So we found an employee's response to, I see myself still working at the company in two years' time is the most predictive. Those who strongly disagreed were almost three times more likely to leave than those who selected other responses. Culture first. 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 Culture Culture first. 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 My aim has always been, and will always be, to provide world-class storytelling on the subject of people and culture. In previous episodes, you would have heard me talk about CultureAmp's data to provide contextual information that I thought was useful to complement the stories that my guests would be sharing with me. I thought it was about time that I took a break from interviewing thought leaders and companies and dedicate a whole episode to explore this incredible data set of CultureAmp's. This is going to be the first episode in a multi-part series where I take you behind the scenes of CultureAmp and give you direct access to our team of scientists and researchers who are working with the largest employee dataset in the world. Today, we're going to go back to the start and learn about the fundamentals behind how CultureAmp collects and analyzes millions of data points every year. In order to do that, I'm going to introduce you to my colleague and friend, Fraser Jackson. Frazier is a people scientist and lead researcher here at CultureAmp. In her role, she oversees CultureAmp's research projects in order to connect CultureAmp's dataset to real business outcomes. You'll hear Frazier and I discuss how our respective roles, where I combine the micro data that I collect by talking to leaders on the podcast, along with her macro view of our dataset, actually work together to create really powerful storytelling about workplace culture. We are about to experience a masterclass in all things data and research, so let's get started and dive straight into my conversation about buckets and lakes of data with Frasier. Frasier, welcome to the Culture First podcast. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So in order for the audience to learn a little bit more about you and the team that you work on, I've got a couple of quick questions to provide that upfront context for our listeners. So first question. It's the end of your day today as a lead researcher at CultureAmp. What did a typical workday consist of? It's always so hard to answer the typical workday questions because one of the things I love about my job is how much variety there is, but I'll try to use today just as an example. Um, 
It usually consists of many, many hours in spreadsheets looking at data, which is probably not everyone's idea of a good time, but it is mine, Uh, along with a whiteboard, also my idea of a good time, Um, really looking at, you know, what are the insights that are coming up? How could we visualize those insights to to make them easily understandable? working with designers to then uh, get those insights into reports. Yesterday, it also included a PR briefing to uh, share those insights with the world. And then, of course, time with my team to really help guide on what analyses we should be using for the hypotheses we're testing. So a little bit of everything. So lots of large formatting of data and information and visualization. And um, you mentioned your team. And I think it'd be useful to kind of understand where does a lead research at Culture Amp sit? What sort of a team are you on? What are some of the other job titles of the people that you work with? What kind of backgrounds do they have? Yeah, well, I'm very lucky to have about 50 other people scientists at at CultureAmp. So my background's in organizational psychology and many of those, also their backgrounds in organizational psychology or organizational behavior, organizational development, all masters or PhDs. Okay, so the third question in our little get to know Frasier section is, if I really knew you today, what would I know? Yeah, these open-ended questions always make me a little bit uncomfortable. So I'm just going to go with the first thing that comes to mind, which is about two hours ago, I ate half a wheel of cheese as a snack. <laughs> you know, it's it, it's a lot of pressure to be writing questions for like a lead researcher and people scientist <laughs> who sits there and looks at questions all day and you're sitting there going, these open-ended questions uh, I'm just not a big fan of these Damon. So, you know, <laughs> as, a, as a podcast host, it was a lot of pressure to write questions for this. Interview. I need more direction, Damon. <laughs> there, there, there will be plenty of direction coming. Don't worry. <laughs> All right. So the final question, and hopefully you don't have too much feedback on this one because it's, it's the most famous intro question that I have, is that if a curious 10-year-old walks up to you on the streets of Baltimore and says, excuse me, what do you do for a living? How do you answer? I I like this question. It makes me think about my job differently. (laughs) I would say your parents and the adults in your life go to work every day. Um, And what I do is look at the feedback that they're giving to their company about how they feel at work, as well as the feedback they give to their colleagues. And I'm seeing not only your parents, but all the parents across the world, um, what is making them fulfilled so that when they come home to you, they can truly switch off and be the best parent they can be. That is a profound, like I've had some incredible answers on this show, but that is a profound, like that kid sitting there. Cause like other people have given answers where I'm like, the kids have already walked off halfway through and it's, it's no <laughs> offense. Kids have short term attention span issues. You're sitting there going, hang on, that kid's going to be like, you can make my parents happier. Like, please do this work. We need more of you out there so that my parents can be, you know, and like what I'm saying that half jokingly, but when you think about it, you know, we borrow our time you know work borrows time from more important things like spending time as a caregiver or with your family or with a pet or you know whatever fills up your cup 
So if our workplaces can return people in a way where they feel more like themselves, where they feel safer, where they feel like they've achieved something, then like that is a good thing. So um, profound answer, profound answer. (laughs) All right. So I've let the audience know that this is part one in a multi-part series where we're going to be showcasing the breadth and depth of CultureAmp's employee experience data set. But before we do that, I thought it might be helpful to give everyone a fundamental understanding of how this data set works in the first place. So, I guess my first question is, what do you want people to know by the end of this episode? Yeah, I think it's hard to talk about something so large um, as our data. So, today we're really going to break it down into something small. And we're going to talk about what happens when one individual responds to a company engagement survey. So we'll share how it's used by the company. Then we'll share how this response goes into the largest employee data lake with the responses of over 10 million employees. And then how CultureAmp is able to use that to provide value to our customers through things like benchmarking and algorithms, but also how we use it to really answer pressing questions or or things that are on people's mind. Like, what impact does engagement have on retaining customers? Or, you know, what is the best performance rating scale? These are all questions that we've answered and I'll be able to share later. Sounds great. So I think, yeah, everyone needs to kind of go on this visual journey with us where they're picturing this this company that we're going to talk about and this person. And yeah, all right. So sounds great. Let's dive in. Can you maybe start with, I guess, you know, this one person's journey, Harper? Who is this person and what is the experience that they're about to go on? Yeah. Um, So Harper has just received an engagement survey invite from Inatech, where she has been working for six months. And this really feels like the beginning for Harper, but this process has usually started much earlier. You know, the leadership team has been thinking about what are the questions we really want to get feedback on from Harper and other employees. And then the people team has also been making sure that their employee data file is up to date so that when Harper responds, they can really know where that feedback is coming from, that it's from an early tenured software engineer who's also a woman. All right. So, and I guess I'm going to be playing this like clarifying question role here for the audience where we, um, <laughs> where I'm going to pretend I know nothing ever about employee engagement Let's surveys. Play. Yeah. And that I've, you know, not worked at Coltrane for seven years. So for anyone listening who's going, oh my God, Damon's worked there for so long. He doesn't have a clue what we do. <laughs> we are doing role play here. So, so Harper has reached that critical tenure mark of six months and they've gone through onboarding and hopefully started to feel a sense of belonging and momentum in their role. You've also mentioned that obviously the company already had some data on them, you know, from a HRIS system yeah, about when they yeah. first joined and some of their demographics. So, you know, why is it so important for them to respond to that first survey invite that they get? 
Yeah. So this is an opportunity for Harper to not only share her experience, but also to potentially improve the experience of others like her. And I know that there are some companies out there who kind of view engagement surveys as a tick the box activity, but when a company is sending one out through CultureAmp or other providers, you know, they've already put their money where their mouth is. So they're already putting resources towards understanding their employees' experience. And, and they've put a stake in the ground that they're going to uh, take action off the back of it. So by Harper responding, that action is going to be, you know, more accurate and what she wants to see happen in the organization. Yeah, which, you know, obviously what we've seen over the last few years in particular has been, uh, you know, companies sending out many different types of surveys, trying to deeply understand the experience that their employees are having because they do want to be able to tailor their actions to it. So, using this visual, Harper's been there. She's responded to this survey. Now, like, where is this data going? Like, where is it flowing to? And I think that's a very good point that you just made. So I want to kind of double click on it that we're using an engagement survey as an example, but mm-hmm. there's tons of other data that's here that we're looking at and connecting across. Uh, but to answer your question, so Harper's response goes into a bucket with all of the other responses from Inintech employees. So while we at CultureAmp know who said what, Inintech does not know what Harper said. And that confidentiality is really important to us because we know that Harper is not going to feel comfortable um, being honest unless she feels that, that confidentiality. And so what we're able to do to still make that response useful for the company is to tag her response with really important characteristics, whether that's her tenure, age, location, um, things like role, manager, so that we can combine her responses with others in each of those groups. And so this makes it possible for, let's say, her department leader, for example, um, to be able to see the responses in that bucket that are just relevant for them, just within the department, so that they can see what employees are most satisfied with, where there's room for opportunities. If this isn't their first time surveying, they can see how things have changed, you know, where things have increased, where they've decreased, um, as well as hopefully if it's not their first time, they've also taken action. So did those actions have the impact that they expected? And they can even drill down to see particular types of employees. So they could see, you know, women engineers specifically if they're having a different experience, but that's only if there are at least five people within that group. Mm-hmm. So we really um, try to keep that that data sacred um, and hide those pieces so that people feel comfortable. And then at the company level, leaders can see if kind of those opportunities in Harper's department are unique to that department or if they're shared across the organization and need to be acted on at a higher level. So I think for everyone listening right now, we've got Harper, we've got Anytech. Anytech is this made up organization we're using to sort of bring this story to life. And we've just talked about 
this bucket, this bucket of data. And that like, this is when we start to tag it and it's getting more interesting. And we're starting to see how these individual data sets of just one person responding to one survey ends up painting a much bigger picture. Um, you know, you mentioned the breadth and depth of, I guess, culture and data and how much has been collected over a long period of time. How does that past data actually have an impact on this current survey that Harper has, has responded to? Yeah, yeah. So a lot of impact. Um, you know, over the last decade, there have been 34 million surveys run through CultureAmp, which is really, I had to triple check that because it was such a high number that I, I didn't trust it. Um, so that's, think of that as like 34 million buckets of data. And what we do is copy and paste, duplicate that bucket, tag it with the really important context, like what industry was this company from? Um, what is the company's size? And what, what region is this coming from? And we pour it into the data lake. And so with this data, we're able to create benchmarks, which really helps companies understand what's normal. So for example, let's say that Inatech found that across the company, employees were unsatisfied with their comp compensation. So like about a third were disagreeing with the question, I believe that my total compensation is fair relative to similar roles at other companies. So by using the benchmark, they're able to find out that actually they score higher than other tech companies on this question. So the benchmark really tells them, is that something they should be concerned about or is that an expected result? And that can help them figure out where to focus and take action. Yeah, and I think that's something if I remove my hat of not knowing anything about this and reflect on the customers that I've worked with over the past seven years. I think that's always been one of those really critical moments where they're like, they see this like red flashing light of, oh my God, people are responding to this and like, we need yeah. to go do something about it. And they need that contextual reinforcement, you know, within this industry, like we're, that's okay. That's actually a very expected number or within this 10 year range, that's a very expected yes. response. That is the first thing companies do. They go and they sort by lowest and they're like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. But there's additional context that can help them with those concerns they feel immediately. Yeah. And I love that we're now talking about benchmarks and that, you know, being able to kind of, if, if people are staying with this visual, that data has been poured into this lake and we're starting to get this really interesting contextual information so, you know, I feel like this is, a um, you know, the topic of benchmarks has been fascinating for a long time. It was like some of Coltramp's first research that we ever wrote about was like our new tech benchmark, like what's happening inside of tech companies. Our um, chief scientist, Dr. Jason McPherson, was, that was some of the first blogs he ever, ever wrote about. So, outside of being something that just Coltramp can write about, how else are benchmarks being used at Coltramp? I actually love that you bring that up because when I was uh, interviewing at Coltramp, I saw the 2016 benchmark report and that it was open source. And that was one of the reasons that I decided to come because I love that we are so open with what we're mm. learning. So benchmarks are also useful for us at Coltramp because they really help us guide our customers uh, and keep a 
pulse on what's going on for them, what, what, what's top of mind. So for example, when we crunched the 2020 data, we saw that while there was a huge increase in employees saying that um, they were able to use flexual, flexible working arrangements, um, we also saw a decrease in the ability to really switch off from work and also to take time off from work when they needed to. And so really knowing these two insights, our customer success managers and our people scientists, they knew that they were going to need to talk to their customers about employee well-being and have recommendations for how to improve that as employees made this huge switch. Um, and so we also shared those key trends in, in blog posts because I think, again, that's something I love. We always we want people to use CultureAmp. Yes, of course, that's great. But we also want to share our research, even if you aren't using CultureAmp, to, to really enlighten the community on, on what we're seeing with this, our big data set. Yeah, and I think what you brought up is why, um, you know, when you describe like who else is on your team, that combination of people science and data science, you know, it's so important, I think, for the industry as a whole to have companies and to have people like this sitting there going like, what's actually happening? What's changing? You know, I kind of feel like I try to do this at a very micro level by having individual conversations with people about putting culture first and listening and, you know, doing that storytelling. But what you're talking about is like the biggest macro trends. Like what are we seeing in huge data sets? What are we seeing in what types of questions are being asked? How is this data changing and what can we do you know, um, to actually respond to that. And, you know, I think by aggregating this data together, it provides this greater context about how unique or similar an experience actually is, which I know, like I mentioned, helps a lot of leaders understand how, you know, not only their data, but like, how are they performing? Where do they focus? Well, I just want to say, like, I don't think one of those is better than the other. I'm looking at Mm. the big data set. You're talking to leaders about what they're experiencing. And I think we have to combine those to create a story because data in itself is not inspiring. Um, It's understanding what's the anecdote that comes with that. Right. Very true. I just feel very validated with my micro sets (laughs) of data talking to one person at a a time. (laughs) So. Let's stick on this topic of benchmarks for a bit because I think, you know, um, Harper has given this one survey response at this moment in time and, like, this this data is still helping us better understand, I guess, you know, some of this context that, that we were talking about. Are there any other ways that benchmarks are being used at CultureRamp outside of that first sort of, you know, research part and sort of helping companies understand their own experience? What are other ways are benchmarks useful? Yeah, so we also do research to see kind of like, what truths can we uncover about the employee experience? Um, you know, a common, common question we hear from customers is, why are our employees leaving? And so to answer that question, we actually undertook a very extensive research study um, analyzing the survey responses of over 300,000 employees who had voluntarily exited. And we found those who went on to leave within one year were much lower on believing that there were career opportunities for them in the company, they were not as happy with their role, and they didn't feel like they belonged. And so those were three things that were really important for why an employee chooses to leave. But also, unsurprisingly, the most predictive question is just 
asking people if they're planning to leave. So we found um, an employee's response to, I see myself still working at the company in two years time is the most predictive. Those who strongly disagreed were almost three times more likely to leave than those who selected other responses. So, you know, if Harper tells Inatech that she doesn't see herself there in the future, you know, Inatech should really take that seriously. Yeah. And I think that's this interesting balance of like, there's all this research that we can do and we can try like do like combine all these different things together. Then there's sometimes just this highly predictive question where we like, you literally ask your employees, you know, like, do you still see yourself working here? And it's not like they're saying, no, I'm leaving tomorrow. It's saying I'm questioning this, yeah. you know, I'm not as strong about this as I used to be. And I think that is definitely something that companies should be taking seriously. And I was actually, uh, earlier this week, I was presenting at an event where I was talking to an audience in Australia about trends I was seeing in employee experience. And when I was sharing some of those stories, I told the audience that there's this sort of lens framework that I use when I think about employee experience, which is seeing the EX through the individual lens, the team lens, the leader lens, and the company lens. And I think it's because we experience our work firstly as an individual. You know, you are an individual, I'm an individual. We experience our work through our own lens of the role that we were hired for. Then we experience it as a member of a team. So that team is a container. Within that team, you know, we start to understand who we are in this larger environment. How do we operate within that team? Most likely people also working underneath a leader. So having some form of Mm -hmm. management or leadership that then impacts their employee experience. And then finally, you know, you do all that with the name of a company, you know, that you're sort of saying, this is who I work for. And I think when I talk about that to people, it's because each lens gives us this different viewpoint when we talk about the employee experience. Because the employee experience as a macro is just a gigantic term, employee experience. It could be, you know, it encapsulates so much. And I bring that up because I think it's useful to help to understand this data set that you're talking about, you know, to answer the question, why are my employees leaving? You know, you look at the answers that are focused on the individual who doesn't feel like they're happy with their current role scope. You can think about it through the lens of the team member who's questioning their sense of belonging right now on that team or the leader who isn't Mm -hmm. doing a good job, maybe at providing clarity on career opportunities, not only for themselves, but for their team. So, you know, hopefully when people are listening to this and they're looking at all these data sets, it's like, yes, use the benchmarks in the context, but also we can provide our own storytelling lens. We can all provide these lenses to give us extra data, extra context to help us. Someone might be listening and going, okay, I have to do a lot of work. I have to really go out there and help my employees and their employee experience. And Damon's just asked me to think of four additional lenses to look at this through. So, how do you suggest a company like Initech uses some of this data, uses some of these storytelling techniques to improve the employee experience? Well, we're trying to help with that. So we're using those same lenses as well. And we're always trying to uh, basically sh- either share it or add it back into the product. So in that turnover research that I just shared, that was actually an input for an algorithm in the product that's called the turnover forecast. And that combines several data points. So one is the relationship between certain questions and turnover, like I just described, um, that I see myself here in two years' time, as well as career opportunities, belonging. You know, we have an odds ratio for every single question and how likely it is that an employee is going to leave based on 
how they responded. Um, but then also the other is the relationship between demographics and turnover. So through our research, we know that employees with three to six months tenure are 19 more likely, 19% more <laughs> likely to churn. Um, and that 18 to 24 year olds are 40% more likely to leave. So by bringing these two things together, um, you know, we're able to combine the probability from questions as well as the probability from demographics from our bigger data set and provide that to the company. So, you know, if Inantech has low scores on the career growth questions compared to the tech benchmark, and if they have a larger proportions of young employees, they would have a higher turnover forecast as an example. And then we can then tell them which groups are most at risk and dive into their data to let them know what are the likely causes for that and what ideas for action could, could they take. So this shows how we can kind of combine what we learn from the data across all of our customers to help a single customer and give them insights that they wouldn't have otherwise. Another example is um, we've taken we've undertaken some research to to guide customers around performance rating scales. Um, customers were constantly asking, you know, what's the best performance rating scale? And so we looked at what are the scales that our customers are using. How are those ratings distributed, right? Are, are there a lot of people being considered high performers, lots of low performers? What does that distribution look like? And ultimately, like how, how did that differ by the labels that they were using? And we found that the best scale to really discern top performers is a four-point scale. And so the first is underperformers, the second is solid performers, the third for good performers, and four being high performers. And people listening might wonder, like, why are there three buckets for, for good and one for bad? Mm. But this is because we found it really combats a problem that organizations have, which is leniency bias, where they try to put everyone in the top bucket. So if you have several different options, you're able to, to differentiate those top performers a little more. And we also found that the way you define those buckets is quite important. So, you know, including the word average meant that it became very positively skewed because average means that the majority of employees should be there, but we found the opposite because no one wants to be told they're average. No one wants to tell someone they are average. Um, and so we found that actually it's much better to use a label that's based on expectations. So did they meet their expectations? Did they hit their goals? And through this research, we were able to update our, our recommended templates so that our customers have that automatically, but also share it um, in a blog for the broader community. I love that what you've touched on so far is, I guess, there is like the very tactical things that the product helps a customer do, which is understand some of this, this, this data better and like give them that context, but also at like a much higher level, it's also looking at the actual process of the data collection. You know, yeah, like yeah. is there things that, that a company should be changing that would actually have a dramatic impact on the entire, like I think if I said to any <laughs> head of people, 
you need to change your performance management process. Like nervous sweat runs down their back and they're like, okay, like how <laughs> yeah. much do I need to change? What do I need to change? Yeah. And then it's like, actually, like if you change to a four point scale and if you change some of the language, this is actually the impact that it can have. And, you know, that is a gigantic shift in how a company operates when you remove the word average and you actually get something that is removing something like leniency bias. Now, you know, it sounds like a gigantic thing to try to do. Like, how do we remove leniency bias? It can be as simple as like looking at the words that you're using. And I think Mm -hmm. that's what's really important here is that like um, companies don't just, you know, turn on a product like Culture Amp and then go like, all right, we're just going to turn it on and not change anything. Like, let's just keep going. Like, it's always iterating based on what we're seeing. And I I love those examples that you've shared. Yeah. And that's an interesting thing for me and my team, because I love that we allow so much customization, but then it also makes it difficult on the research side because we Mm. have to do a lot of standardizing of the data to make it useful for us. So it's a, it's a double-edged sword. So I hope everyone enjoys it. (laughs) (laughs) Culture also has a mission of creating a better world of work. And obviously, you know, that in itself requires some data and some metrics around it in terms of how does Culture have that impact. So how are you using, I guess, the research and the data set that we have to understand our impact? Yeah, it's it's such a lofty goal. And I think a lot of companies have that mission and mm. they aren't actually assessing if they're meeting that. Um, so it's really exciting whenever we can, we can do that. So recently, um, we actually filtered down to customers who use both um, culture and performance as well as engagement. And through that, we were able to look at after one round of performance reviews, how did their engagement survey responses change? And specifically, we found that after just one cycle of performance reviews, the employees' perceptions of the fairness of that performance review process improved on average 5%. So that was already like, yay, that's incredible. But what's more is that we found there's often a a 4 to 7% gender gap on some key questions around workload, recognition, career opportunities, um, unfortunately with women scoring lower than men. And we found that after just one cycle, uh, we were able to completely eradicate that gender gap. So it seems like using a structured performance review process, allowing a self-reflection as part of it, um, you know, creating an opportunity for peers to provide feedback was able to, to make it a more equitable experience. And so this is exactly what we hoped we'd find, um, which is really nice to know that we're on the right path. But, you know, sometimes we don't find the impact we're expecting. And that's really an input for us to know that we need to make changes to the product. Yeah. No, like it's obviously such, a, you know, to change things around, I guess, the experience that people of different genders are having in the workplace, especially around, like you said, some of the perception questions around things like, you know, workload and whether they're being recognized and obviously massive things like career opportunities to have some of those yeah. things eradicated after one cycle is is really amazing. And I think it shows also, you know, when you think about uh, 12 plus years ago when Culture Amp was first kind of, you know, created, it was just to replace this, you know, annual engagement survey that companies were doing on paper to now see how far the industry has come and the data sets that we're getting and the fact that we can combine these things together. It is just, yeah, it, it really is incredible. 
Yeah. And that's a good point um, that we tried to look at non-binary as well, but not that many companies are including that in their data set. So we can do more inclusive research, the more inclusive our customers are. So please use inclusive demographics so that we can do even more um, expansive research, especially when we look at gender. All right. Everyone, <laughs> Frazier has told you, go have, a look at your, go have a look <laughs> at your demographic data. She wants to be doing more research on this. So, okay. So if we go back for, I guess, for the visual learners listening at home, who they might be out there, you know, walking their dog or listening to this podcast while they're they're working. Hello, we're still here, and we want you to kind of like see whether this metaphor, this story that 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 we've been telling makes sense. So, for the visual learners at home, you would have heard us discuss that Harper's data went into a bucket, and then it enters this gigantic data lake that Cultramp has. So we've got that bucket to lake water metaphor here. Now. <laughs> We don't just stop at the millions of data points that we have access to. Like you said, 34 million plus buckets have existed in the CultureAmp ecosystem. I guess what can make it even more interesting is when we can overlay our data lake with a different data lake from outside of CultureAmp. So, lake on lake, what does that look like? Can you explain that for everyone listening? Double lake. Yes. All of the research that I've shared so far is looking at only our own data, but we definitely recognize that we can come up with even more unique insights by combining our data with others, other lakes, if you will. Um, So, for example, in the past, we did a research project with Zendesk to really understand the relationship between employee engagement and customer satisfaction. And it wasn't a big surprise that we found that higher engaged companies had happier customers overall, as well as higher engaged employees specifically had the highest customer satisfaction scores. Uh, But what was even more interesting was the relationship we found between ticket volume and employee engagement. So employees with the greatest job demands were the least engaged. So that's something that, you know, helps companies know actually what to do right? That could be one of the reasons. And we're always looking for for data sets that we can tap into for those unique insights. So if you're listening and you think there could be an interesting partnership with your company, please don't hesitate to reach out. Or if you're already doing academic research and it, it could be built upon with a real world data set with 10 million employees, uh, please, we're always excited to, to partner. Yeah. And, you know, I think People might not like for people who don't know what Zendesk is, you know, Zendesk is a customer support, customer success software. And, you know, we're looking at things like support tickets and like correlation to engagement and customer satisfaction. So you might be thinking, oh, like I work at a company, I don't think our data would like match, but like, no, we're, we're looking at things like number of support tickets per employee, matching that with our own data, like, and, and the impact. And, you know, I think what you touched on there was, you know, the people with the greatest job demands were the least engaged. That's like screaming to me, like well-being, burnout. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, some of these things when you're just like, oh, like we've got burnt out employees. It's not just about this idea of, um, oh, I'm so sorry that you're, you know, you're not well right now. Like here's some like, here's one day off. It's like, no, like structural things, job yeah. demand, yeah. role scope. Has there been role creep that has come in? Has this person take, accidentally taken on two jobs over the past six months because someone else left during the pandemic and they've just taken on all their roles? You know, there's all these other things that we can be thinking about when we overlay these data lakes together. So, yeah, the invite 
is there for you if you're working at an organization that has an interesting data lake. Maybe you didn't even know you had a data lake and now you've heard the term data lake so many times. You're like, I think I've got a data lake. Reach out to us. Now you want to go swimming together. Exactly. We are here. We are here. Invite your lake um, and send it over to us and we can <laughs> we can do some research together. And I think, you know, that's where, I think that's the exciting part of where Coltramp is going is like the size and the scale of this organization, you know, being 900 plus employees now, you know, from the times that we joined when it was a very small company, we're now reaching out to some of the bigger institutions in the world and saying like, let's do yeah. some research together. So very, very exciting. Um, I guess if to round this episode out, you know, before I let you go, it would be remiss of me to not thank Harper, our our fictional employee who's helped us understand the data bucket and the data lake metaphors. <laughs> uh, what types of research are we doing with benchmark data and how this helps organizations take action to create a better world of work? Is there anything I've missed in terms of what like was critical information for anyone listening about the world of employee data and employee experience? I don't think so. I mean, we really covered all the ways we're able to use data and not only learn from it, but bring those learnings back to companies so that they can improve the world of work for their employees. For all those parents out there. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> going going home and creating happier families. Who would have thought that um, a, a lead researcher at Coltramp was having that impact? But these are the things that, <laughs> that, 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 that we're doing. So I also teased at the start that this is going to be the first in a multi-part series. I thought it was, you know, before we just like dived in and just did a whole episode where we were just like talking about like all this research and you were like, where the hell did this come from? It was important to lay the foundations of like, actually, how do we collect this? And I guess, you know, we wanted everyone to have that same level of context. So hopefully doing this, this little role play has helped. For those who were saying, that's cool. I already knew all this stuff. What's coming? I want to see the next episode. Can you give us a teaser of, of what's to come? Yeah, I really hope I haven't scared anyone off because we, <laughs> we only scratched the surface today. Um, so the next time I'm on, we'll do a really like true deep dive into a research project we're working on currently. Um, you know, we focus on the foundation now so that next time we can go into the nitty gritty details, all the insights and, and get deep. So I'm excited and I hope everyone else is too. Definitely. Yeah. And, you know, if you've got a burning question you want answered, let us know. Send me yeah. a note. Um, you know, if you're listening, leave a leave a review wherever you're listening and like send me a question. Is there something Tell that you want to focus on? Yeah. I can add them to the roadmap. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> No promises of roadmap research were made no, today on no. this episode, um, <laughs> but we will definitely like to hear from you. So, Freja, a big thank you for coming on the Culture First podcast today. This has been enlightening. I've certainly learned a lot, and I'm excited to have you back on soon. Thanks for having me. You know, long-time listener, first-time caller, so it's fun <laughs> to be here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for calling. This has been the Culture First podcast. I've been your host, Damon Klotz, and until next time, thanks so much for listening.
big thank you to Freesia and the wider people science and data science teams at CultureAmp who've helped bring this episode to life. If you've enjoyed it, please subscribe and leave a review as it helps more people find this show and get us one step closer to creating a better world of work. I want to give a special shout out to one listener, Susanna Kay, who recently left her a review on Apple Podcasts saying that she loved the analysis we did of Ted Lasso during my episode with Priya Parker. Susanna, five stars right back to you. I personally love hearing from listeners about how episodes land for you or even hearing some of your guest suggestions that you might have. So always feel free to reach out to me. You can contact me on LinkedIn, Twitter or Instagram. My handle is just at Damon Klotz. And if you've made it this far, maybe just send me a message saying Data Lake. That way I know that you made it all the way to the end of the episode. I've been your host, Damon Klotz, and the Culture First podcast is proudly brought to you by the team here at CultureAmp, the world's leading employee experience platform. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, have a great day.